Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click Ratings and Reviews. You can also follow me on Facebook.com slash RunPaleo or on Twitter at RunPaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugary sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. Today my guest is Zach Bitter. Zach recently set a world record for 12 hours and an American record for 100 miles running in, I believe it was 1147. Zach, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Aaron. Yeah, Zach, it's, it's really exciting to talk to you today. Um, that, that is just a smoking time for 100 miles. Um, how many 100 milers have you ran prior to this? The, this was actually the second complete 100 miler I did. I had one earlier in the summer that I uh, dropped out at mile 93 because I'd missed an aid station back at mile 70. But um, other than that, uh, Western States 100 in 2012 was my only other 100 miler. Okay. So compared to Western States, this was uh, on a track. Um, what was that like running around a 400 meter track for a hundred miles? It was definitely a different mindset and a, and a different type of a uh, physical response, I guess, to, um, uh, where it was weird. Cause like from a mental standpoint, you had all this immediate feedback. So you always kind of knew where you were and like how your body was responding based on like lap splits and stuff like that. Whereas you might not get that in like a mountain race where, you have to almost go completely by effort because you don't really know like if a mile was maybe slow because of elevation or fast because of elevation. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a lot different in that regard. But then in terms of uh, uh, mental, the mental aspect of just going around that same track and seeing the same thing all day long is, is another thing you have to kind of try to get past. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So, you know, part of that to me sounds kind of interesting because you would get your splits every mile. Does it also give you like a predicted finish time? Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know the, the race directors had like a screen up and it had a whole bunch of different stuff, but like I'd be running by the screen. So I would pay attention to maybe the lap split and then my overall distance. But other than that, I really didn't, I didn't really take the time to try to figure out what the other columns were for. Uh, I know they had a program that they were looking at that would say like, um, so-and-so is on pace for this record. And as you get closer to actually making that record, your name would go further up on their little list. So they were, they would, they start to realize like when people would come within a couple hours of some of a record, uh, that they would start getting ready for that and things. So they had a pretty cool system set up. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of, what's your background like? I mean, you, I'm assuming you ran in, in high school and college, but tell me a little bit more. I mean, were you a fast runner um, through high school and college? And, and when did you start to get into the ultra distances? Um, I guess, I mean, in high school, I, I would describe myself as probably like the lower rung of the top guys. Uh, like at our state meet, I was a division three athlete in Wisconsin. And uh, at our state meet, I was 24th in cross country. And I made state in the mile for division three. Uh, but, you know, when, when you're talking about the top end guys in the state, I wasn't really near them. And then in college, I ran for a D3 school in Wisconsin, University of Stevens Point. 
And we had a really good team, like nationally ranked in track and cross country uh, most years. And I would say like I was pretty average amongst really good D3 runners. Um, so at the shorter distances, uh, definitely a little more pedestrian, I would say, than uh, success I've had at the ultra distance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you say you say pedestrian, but what what kind of times were you running? Um, like my five k PR is a fifteen twenty eight. Um, which ironically I did like during ultra running training and uh, at the back end of a two a day. So it's I'm not wow. exactly sure how that worked out that way, but um, like marathon PR is about a two thirty one. Um, that I did on an indoor okay. track okay. last last year. So. Um, yeah, those are kind of the, kind of some of the PRs I've had at shorter distances. So you ran a 5k after training hard for a couple days. How, how did that work? What, uh, like, was, did you just go to a track and say, I'm going to run a 5k and see what happens or what was going on? It was kind of like that. We had, I was living in two rivers, Wisconsin at the time. And this neighboring city, Manitowoc would do these like Wednesday night fun runs. And I mean, they're extremely low key. There'd be like probably between like 10 to maybe 15 people would show up and they had a little like 5k course put out there. So I just wanted to do some speed work that night. And uh, I went out there and just, I ran it as hard as I could. And it turned out to be the fastest 5k I ran. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, so at what, 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 what point did you say, okay, I want to start doing something longer than a marathon. I mean, what intrigued you about ultra distance events? I guess like, in college, I kind of could see that I was a little better as the distances got longer. So I had this, I, I was aware of ultra marathons at the time. I really had no clue like what was competitive and who were doing them. But I kind of always thought in my mind, like that'd be something I think I could maybe, maybe do well at someday, but didn't really plan on doing them all that early. So when I finished college, I, I loved running. So I wanted to stay in that kind of community. So I started training for marathons and stuff. And I had a, some rough spots in marathons where I would pick one or two a year and just try to really like own in on them. And then if something would go, go wrong on race day, uh, started to kind of get me thinking about jumping in ultras earlier. Uh, like I did the Illinois marathon in 2011 and I was, I thought I was pretty fit for the, for the marathon distance at the time. And we ended up having like 40 plus mile an hour wins. And then I added a third of a mile to the course. So uh, I felt like I had a good race and everything, but <laughs> but my 231 I had run there. I think it was a 231.45 or something like that. I was kind of frustrated that uh, you know you put all your eggs into that basket and then kind of um, <laughs> have some like environmental thing come in like that. Uh, so then then I jumped into an ultra marathon and uh, kind of just fell in love with it after that, and um, have been able to run a number of them a year fairly competitively. So. Uh, mm-hmm. been kind of interesting that way. So are, are you, do you prefer flat courses like, like the track or in the road or do you prefer the mountains and the trails? Um, I mean, I'm definitely better at the flat stuff right now based on just the where, like way I train and where I'm training right now. So like my body's more adapted to like the flatter stuff. So from a competitive standpoint, I'm definitely going to be better on the flat stuff. Uh, so that, that's a big draw for me, I suppose. Um, in terms of just like pure enjoyment, um, you know, I love the trails and the mountains as well. Uh, but then again, I sacrifice some competitiveness in the, just because I'm not training in the mountains and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your training, Zach. You're a school teacher, uh, yep. high school teacher, and 
what, what, tell me a little bit about how you organize your training around your, your work day. Okay, so like during the school year, if I'm like in peak training, uh, like just outside of my taper or just outside of a race, I'll, uh, I'll pretty much do two-a-day runs for the most part during the week uh, and then try to add a one or sometimes two long runs on the weekends. So usually that entails waking up between 4 or 5 in the morning and logging, some, usually between 10 and 15 miles. Um, and that's usually when I'll do a speed work if I'm going to do it, a speed workout that day. Uh, and then I'll go to I'll go to work around 7.30, 7.45 uh, and uh, be there for like 8, 9 hours or so. And then I'll get out of there and uh, um, usually do a second run. And usually that'll depend quite a bit on what I did in the morning or in the days leading up, but usually will range from between five to 12 miles. Mm. Um, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So then I'll, I'll do like uh, some resistance training and uh, core type work as well a few times a week. And then um, uh, some strength training even too, when I'm not like right in race season, uh, not like super heavy weights or powerlifting type stuff, but I'll do lighter weights with like brush and deadlifts, uh, um, squatting and stuff like that. Um, and then, like I said, really on the weekends, sometimes I'll try to get a longer run in. If I'm trying to get a real ultra marathon stimulus, I might try to get like a 30 miler in or at least do like back to back 20, 25 mile days to get that feeling of like running on tired legs. Okay. Man in schedule. I mean, how many miles are you putting in a week when you add everything up? Um, when I, like, I mean, I've hit up to almost 190 in the past. Um, but typically like typically it'll be, uh, when I'm peak hitting peak week somewhere around that 150 range. Uh, and then if you, if you add in all the days off and recovery and stuff throughout the year, the last couple of years, I probably average like 115 miles a week about somewhere in there. Oh, wow. And so what, how many miles were you doing leading up to that, uh, American record that you just ran? That was actually kind of interesting because I had done two 50 milers in the eight weeks before that. So there were a couple days of recovery in there and then some tape, a little bit of tapering for those um, that kind of skewed my miles a little bit. But after I finished the Chicago Lakefront 50 mile, I think I took one day off and then um, kind of started to ramp my training back up again. Uh, and then within a week, I knew I was going to do desert solstice. So then I I knew I had maybe a two to two and a half week window to really get some good training in before I had to start backing off again so that it'd be rested for desert solstice. So there was probably like a 10 to 10 to 15 day window in there that I ran, you know, between that I was averaging probably around 130 miles on those weeks. Wow. So how did you build your body up to handling that amount of mileage? Did, have you always been a high mileage uh, type person? Yeah. Um, at Stevens point, our coach was a big high mileage guy and, uh, we, we worked our way, I, I guess I worked my way up to getting kind of comfortable with a 70, 80 mile a week during my college career. And then when I started doing marathons, I started uh, kind of teasing that hundred plus mile a week distance. Um, and then just kind of kept building up from there. Uh, so like in 2011 and 2012, I, I ran, just over 5,500 miles each year. So I have a pretty large base of just pure miles on my legs uh, that have really helped me be able to kind of handle that type of workload without breaking down too much. Okay. 
So uh, you, have you had many injuries um, as, as you've gone to this um, like super high mileage? Um, I mean, I've had a, my fair share of running injuries, but they all kind of happened before I started doing the high mileage stuff. Like mm -hmm. I've had Achilles tendonitis and things like that, um, but those were that was like during college. Um, Post-college, when I'd start running 100-plus miles a week, my injuries have been – I've had a few things flare up, but never anything that's really sidelined me more than a little over a week or so. Um, I had some tendonitis earlier in the year on the back of my knee that I really kind of hunkered down and tried to take pull out all the nutritional stops for, and uh, that cleared up relatively quickly. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, it's been pretty uh, injury-free for the most part. Okay. And then your weight training, you know, I've heard a lot that doing some of those deadlifts and, and I think you said squats can actually help quite a bit for the ultra distance events. Is that something that you found? Yeah, I really like it just, uh, for, from a power standpoint too. Um, for me, I don't have a lot, I don't have any mountains and not a whole lot of hills comparatively speaking in Wisconsin. So, uh, doing some of that strength training, whether it be like lunges, squats, deadlifts and stuff like that, give me a chance to kind of build a little bit of power that I would that I'm missing by not running up a mountain on a daily basis or at least a couple times a day or week, I should say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Zach, take me to that race that, that you just ran. I think it uh, desert solstice uh, where you set the American record in, in, in the hundred miles. Um, what, what goes through your head as you're starting out the event? I mean, how do you choose what pace to start out at? And are you, are you adjusting your pace a lot throughout the event? How, how do you get your pacing down? Yeah, um, I guess since I signed up fairly late, uh, later than I would like if I were going to have like an A race or have something be my A race, I wasn't as familiar with like, I was I was open to like changing things on the fly a little bit uh, since I knew this would be something completely new to me. Um, I did go in there with the goal of trying to break the American record. So I knew like um, some paces that I would kind of have to hit. I knew like a minute 47 per lap would be about what I would need to get just under John Olson's previous American record. And I thought in the back of my mind, if I had a really, really good day, I could maybe um, average uh, a seven minute mile. So that would have been like about a minute 44 per lap. Um, so I kind of went in there thinking if I can hit between 144 and 147 and just keep hitting that all day long, I'll be good to go. Uh, early in the race, I was hitting a couple seconds under that. 144 mark but it almost felt artificial to kind of hold back so I let myself kind of I guess for better lack of better words bank a little bit of time um and then just kind of like listen carefully to my body to make sure I wasn't like you know falling apart or breaking down or like too much as the laps picked up mm -hmm. and how often are you eating during that um I I I, ha I kind of have a goofy start to a race uh since I am a an athlete who tries to adapt my body to metabolize fat really well. So like in the beginning of the day, when I wake up for a race, I'll, I shy away from carbohydrates as much as possible in order to keep my body. I want my body to be burning primarily fat as I tow the line so that I don't tap into my glycogen stores early on in a race like that. Um, so like before the, before the race, very few carbs, I'll probably take in my first carbohydrate source, like primary carbo carbohydrate source, 30, 45 minutes into the race. Um, and then at that point, I'm probably trying to put in between two to 300 calories an hour. Okay. And what kind of calories are you, are you choosing? I mean, 
you say, uh, I think it's pretty interesting that you, you follow this low carb uh, type of diet, but then during the race, you actually put some of those carbs back in. Is um, So what's what's the strategy there? Why not just fuel with fat the whole way? Or have you found, have you tried just using fat, but you found you needed some carbs? What, what's the thinking there? I guess like, because my diet has like, I've been evolving it, I guess, over the past two years to get to where I am right now. So race day fueling is one of the, I guess, last major points that I'm kind of tweaking around with. Um, I, I, I feel like carbohydrates are, they're still a faster fuel source. So like if I can get my body to be really responsive to them, then I can use them in like strategic amounts in order to give myself a little bit of a power boost or speed boost. Um, so I don't think, I don't, at least I don't anticipate ever completely eliminating them from race day. Uh, what I've been doing recently is scaling back on how much of it I have. Uh, I've scaled back in total like carbohydrate or calorie intake over the last couple of years um, from uh, closer to 400 per hour to down to the two 300 range. And now I've been gradually trying to increase the amount of fat I mix in with my food source. So when I say two to 300 calories an hour, like at desert solstice, uh, a good chunk of that was from like banana chips that were cooked in coconut oil. Mm. So that source was at least half fat um, from a fat source, the coconut oil, which is a medium chain triglyceride or at least partly medium chain triglyceride. So it's going to metabolize a lot easier than say like um, other fat sources. Uh, and those right. seem to work really well there. So I plan on kind of skewing more and more towards those banana chip type uh, food sources as I do hundreds in the future. Okay, so are those banana chips, do you cook those yourself? Um, I have, but usually I don't, um, just because I'm traveling on a fairly short timeline for, for a race that's out of state like that. And uh, usually I'll just try to get on like an organic banana chip that uh, I look at the label to try to make sure that the, the coconut oil and the bananas come before the little bit of sugar that they're going to put in there. So that it's not just like, you know, a banana with very little fat and then a ton of sugar dumped on top of it. Uh, so I try to be a little picky on like what type I get when I buy them. Okay. So Zach, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, um, what got you into this uh, higher fat, lower carb type of diet in the first place. And, you know, do people think you're crazy doing this? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's becoming a little more recognizable that at least that people are doing this type of stuff uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah, people do kind of look at you weirdly when they ask, uh, like, what do you eat before? You must eat a lot of carbs or you must carbo load or eat pasta and stuff the night before. And, uh, then when I tell them that that's not really the case, they, they're, they're quite intrigued, I guess. Um, so like I got into it back in 2011. Uh, I, it was, uh, when I, I, I did a, my first ultra in 2010 and then I took a year off from doing ultras just uh, trying to kind of respecify my training so that at the end of 2011, I could come in like in really good ultra marathon style shape. And then in 2011, I did three 50 milers in a nine week span, uh, which at the time I thought was a pretty big, uh, like, like hurdle, I guess, to get through like recovery stand from a recovery standpoint. And at the end of it all, I kind of could tell like that things were breaking down on me that shouldn't be breaking down on like a what would have been a 25 year old male at that time. Uh, and I, they, they, I had a feeling that they were nutritionally based and stuff like that. Um, because it was a lot of like inflammation and like waking up a lot at night and things like that. 
um, yeah, water retention and things like that. So I spoke with a guy named Peter Dapti. He's actually like the North American distributor of the Vespa Power products. And I'd been using Vespa Power products and I had kind of told him some of the stuff like that I was struggling with recovery wise. And he said, well, you know, you should look into doing a, uh, a higher fat diet because that'll, the, some of the symptoms that you're seeing are kind of what we see in a lot of guys who eat a ton of carbohydrates to accommodate their training load. Um, so he kind of introduced me to this protocol called OFM, which is um, optimized fat metabolization. And uh, the goal there isn't necessarily to just eliminate carbs from your diet, but it's to start to use carbohydrates strategically. So what that means for me is when I'm in peak training, my carbohydrate levels might be at around like 20%. Uh, sometimes up to 30%, maybe if it's a really intense week. And, um, for those who are like real knowledgeable of carb counting and stuff, that's counting all carbohydrates. I'm not eliminating the fiber sources or like the non-starchy sources. So, um, I know some people will subtract that from their, from their carb total. Uh, that's, that's for simplicity's sake, just everything. (laughs) Um, and then like when I'm getting closer to the race, uh, I will, I'll just, I'll carbo load for me. which tends just to be throwing in a couple sweet potatoes into the, my daily diet as opposed to staying away from that type of stuff. Um, and then recovery is when I'll drop my carbs down as far as I get. That's when I'll consciously try to get to a level that would be more familiar to like a ketogenic style where my carbon take is close to like 5%. Um, and that's mainly just to deal with the inflammation and speed up the recovery process. Um, yeah, so like basically what I just described is my efforts to get my body good at metabolizing fat or at least looking at fat as a, uh, a really good fuel source so that in a race, when my glycogen stores are depleted, my body doesn't just say like time to shut down, but it says time to switch over or time to start burning another source of fuel that we're very familiar with burning on a daily basis. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting. You know, one of the reasons I started eating a higher fat diet is because uh, during long runs, you don't have to take in as much uh, of fuel source in your gut. And, and so you don't have as much stomach issues. And that's one thing that I found. But when, when, when the, your friend uh, told you about this diet, were you skeptical at first or were you just like, let's try it out? I mean, because a lot of people would think, well, if I eat fat, that's going to clog my arteries. What, what were your thoughts? Um, I guess I've always been really open to doing like the N equals one type experiments on myself. Uh, I had tried a a whole lot of different dietary approaches for for years leading into that. Um, You know, more of the traditional mainstream ones where it was, they they say, we'll eat these healthy carbohydrates, um, which, you know, they point to like whole grains and stuff like that. And, you know, I guess I could kind of tell, like, I, just by listening to my own body, I knew that what I was doing wasn't working. So I thought to myself, why not at least try this? I can always go back and switch switch back to some old way or a different way if this doesn't work out or um, things start to be um, become a problem. But uh, I did look into the science and stuff, too. And that's kind of when I started to discover, uh, as I was transforming towards this, I was really, like, listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of uh, literature and stuff to try to see like, what is the science behind this? Where did it come from? And that's kind of when I started to realize that all the scientific experiments that are pointing to saturated fat as this, this like causing heart disease and whatnot was just, 
you know, poorly done scientific experiments for the most part, uh, in that it wasn't necessarily the saturated fat, but it was what was eaten in, in combination. And then maybe, and even to some extent, the timing of when you eat the carbohydrates and stuff like that. So I was pretty confident just based on the science that nothing like nothing too terrible was going to happen. Hmm. Um, and then in early 2012, I, uh, I got some data back that kind of confirmed this too. Uh, I had done uh, through through work we would do a lipid profile, and my lipid profile scores actually improved over the course of the year when I was doing the high fat approach as opposed to the higher carbohydrate approach. Um, so that that and just myself feeling a lot better, like I started noticing a ton of benefits. Uh, like the inflammation went away. Uh, I was sleeping a lot better at night. Like I instead of having to block off like a ten hour block of time just so I could get eight hours of sleep. I could go to bed when I wanted to and I wake up eight hours later and I feel completely fresh and well rested. So from just like a listening to my body standpoint, I could tell there was definitely some improvements that were happening. That's really cool. That's really cool. So tell me a little bit or tell our listeners what you're actually eating on a daily basis. I mean, what are those healthy foods that you're eating? Um, you know, to give me some of your favorites. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess like I start most days with, uh, a cup of coffee and, um, I'll usually put either coconut milk or like a heavy whipping cream, um, in there. And that'll be like a good little fat source to start the day. Um, and then I'll do a workout or a run and I'll come back and I'll probably have some more coconut milk with maybe like some caffeine free tea or something like that. Um, I, at that point, I've just done like a, a workout and um, uh, when, if it's in the morning too, I've had just slept all night. So I, my glycogen levels are pretty low and they're pretty sharp in terms of being able to receive a little bit of carbohydrate. So that, that's the time of day that I might mix in a little bit of raw honey because um, I'm not too afraid of spiking my insulin or like, you know, abusing that at that point of the time of the day. Um, a lot of times I'll have like eggs and bacon or something like that for breakfast, uh, depending on how far I ran or how much coconut oil I drink or coconut milk I drank with uh, before and after the the um, the workout. Uh, for lunches, I'll do a lot of like raw vegetables with like um, with like cheeses or like maybe like a summer sausage type of thing, just because it's pretty easy to pack and bring along. Um, I'll have more coconut milk during the day too, or or almond milk sometimes as well. Uh, when I come back and do another workout, sometimes I'll have like, I'll snack on some, like some almonds or mixed nuts before I head out. Um, and then I run again. And then at night is when I really like do most of my cooking. Uh, and then I'll, I'll usually make some kind of stir fry with some kind of like a dark greeny like vegetable. Uh, and I'll, I'll usually use like bacon and use the bacon grease to cook that stuff in. Um, a lot of times I'll, especially when I'm recovering, I'll use like a fresh calf liver for some, another meat source to help with recovery and, uh, just to gain some extra like nutrients from that source. Um, and then, yeah, maybe at night if I'm still hungry, I'll have some, a snack of some like nuts or maybe some more cheese with raw vegetables on that. That's kind of a, a fairly typical type of day or those are some of the sources that I drop in quite a bit. Cool. Cool. So um, it sounds like you're not eating a lot of fruit. Are you mainly just getting most of your carbs from vegetables? And will you ever throw in like a banana 
or something after a long workout? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll throw in fruit, and it, it kind of goes in cycles, I guess. Like um, sometimes in the summer when it's hot, I'll make like a smoothie that's a lot of coconut milk, uh, maybe like half a banana um, and some ice or something like that. Uh, I'll eat like a melt, like some melon or uh, some berries every once in a while. Um, but I don't eat a whole lot of fruit and I, I certainly don't focus on it. Most of my carbs do come from vegetables. And then when I do want to try to consciously increase a little bit of the carbs I have, I'll, I'll try to get like a sweet potato or a potato or something like that in the mix. Cool. So what was it like when you first started this uh, sort of higher fat diet? Is it something that, that was difficult for you? Did it take a while to adapt? And what would you recommend for someone listening to this that wants to try it out? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, there's definitely a little bit of a transition phase that uh, if you don't know about it, it could really turn you off from the whole approach. Uh, typically, it takes maybe like two weeks for your body really to, to click and start feeling normal. Uh, like, you hear stories of people like going on just feeling miserable for the first two weeks and then all of a sudden a light switch kind of goes off. For me, it, was, uh, it wasn't quite like two weeks of, of that. And part of that might have been just because from my running background, I had gone through uh, – I had oftentimes depleted my glycogen stores and tapped into fat uh, as a fuel just from the, sake, from the fact that I'd be running so far. Uh, so what happened to me was like, I would have like every other day, it almost seemed like for maybe 10 days where I'd feel really, really run down or tired. And then at a, around 10 to 14 days, it started to feel a lot more normal. Um, and then I started to notice like the benefits from better sleep and things like that. Uh, and, um, now even after I've been doing it for probably just shy of two years at this point. So like this fall, I started to see some more like adaptations take place, I think in just terms of racing, where I was even more focused and able to like eliminate bonks almost altogether on a lot of, a lot of races of 50 miles and above. Mm, that's pretty cool. You know, there's, there's this product that, that, uh, that I've been using, it's called three fuel and you know, it's, it sounds like it might be something you want to check out because it's got coconut fat. It's got a small amount of starch. And then it has some grass-fed protein, and it sounds like something that might be right up your alley as far as your racing and what you feel with. I might have to uh, send you some out. Yeah, that'd be great. I would definitely check it out. It sounds like uh, it kind of sounds like it'd fit right in with what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about footwear, Zach. Uh, you're a minimalist footwear type of guy. Uh, what do you find that you like about those kind of shoes that are more minimal? Um. I, I guess when I switched to minimal, my mindset was uh, that, you know, I've always had this, this kind of, I guess, desire to uh, be like, keep everything like strong and working um, from a whole body standpoint. Uh, like I want to be fast and I want to be as competitive as possible, but not necessarily at the expense of the rest of my body falling apart. So I've always done weight training and stuff like that to try to keep my body well, strong, like balanced and strong. And um, I came across like this, this uh, concept that like your shoes, if they provide too much support, essentially you're allowing those muscles to deteriorate and weaken in your feet. And just kind of being the type of person that doesn't want a weak point on me, uh, I started looking into like how I could strengthen those things. And the best way seemed to be to run with little to no support uh, on your feet in terms of, uh, like just shoe structure. So 
I didn't throw on a pair of Vibrams and start running right away or anything like that. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people make and end up getting injured. I uh, spoke with a guy who had a minimalist shoe store and he told me that it'd be smart to just transition slowly. So I spent probably six months to even almost 12 months to fully transition and to be able to run in a zero drop shoe pretty much 100% of the time. Um, and since then, I've noticed just like, you know, my lower legs from like the knee down have, are a lot more stronger and a lot more resilient to, uh, to like injury or like to just fatigue in general. So now I'm pretty certain that I've got that strength back in my feet in my lower leg area. Nice, nice. And it, do you train in minimal shoes all the time or just when you're racing? Yeah, like I'll, I, pretty, I would say like I'm never in something that has a heel to toe ratio of greater than 10 millimeters. And like 99% of the time I'm running in zero drop. Uh, like I've been using uh, Scora, Ultra, and Innovate over the last two years. And those are kind of the shoes. I used Innovate a lot to transition because they make a nice like diverse set of like six millimeter millimeter all the way down to zero but once I got really good at running in zero I started using score and ultra shoes a lot more okay cool so Zach do you have any advice for people who you know you're you've got a full-time job you're you're getting up at four or five in the morning to train um, people, um, you know, I'm very inspired by you and what is your advice for people who want to do more training, maybe not 190 miles a week, but you know, how do you fit all this into your lifestyle with, with everything you've got going on? Yeah, I think it, it comes down to like time management and stuff a lot. And for me, it's more like looking at like what I enjoy to do and I enjoy running enough that I'm willing to sacrifice smaller things that I would maybe do if I didn't run as much that maybe are like secondary importances to me, like, like watching TV or like, um, I like to read, but like, instead of reading a book, maybe try to find a podcast that's related to it so I can do it while I'm running. Um, I guess, uh, podcasts and stuff have been a huge part of it all because I am investing a solid 20 hours a week into running and training for that stuff. But with podcasts and audiobooks and stuff like that, I've been able to essentially kill two birds with one stone. Um, so, yeah, trying to, like, uh, maximize your time in that way. Right. So, uh, what kind of apps are you using for your podcast? Um, I've oh, just, I'm sorry. I think I cut you off. Oh, that's okay. I Typically, I'll just go on to, like, iTunes, and I'll find podcasts that I like. Um, and then I'm always finding different ones that I hadn't heard of before, and I'll check them out. Uh, and I'll download those uh, just onto, like, an iPod, an iPod shuffle, and then uh, just head out with that. Cool, cool. But uh, I think I, I think I cut you off. You were you were saying just uh, as far as maximizing your time. Do you have any other uh, tricks for that? Um, I think too, like especially if you're looking to get get a lot out of running in a little more time. Like, don't be afraid of doing speed work, even if you're not like the fastest person out there or someone who doesn't have a background that introduced yourself to like different types of speed work. Because uh, you can definitely get a lot of training stimulus in a shorter period of time if you incorporate that type of stuff into your workouts. So, like, if I'm if I'm helping someone out who's really really crunched for time, and they say I have, you know, this seven or eight hours a week to train, uh, my advice is to like focus a lot of that time on doing some more uh, speed type oriented uh, training uh, in order to kind of maximize that that amount of time. 
So what kind of speed training do you incorporate into your training? Um, I do a lot of, I guess, what you could almost consider marathon-specific type training workouts, uh, but maybe not, maybe not as traditional ones as what some people would think. I'll do uh, like intervals, like short burst sprint type things from anywhere from like 20 seconds up to like 400 meter repeats. And that's where I'll get the most intense running from. Uh, then I like to do like tempo runs. And usually those are like uh, at a pace of around 530 per mile to 545. And I'll do a nice little warm up and cool down on either side of the, the tempo. And I think the workout that really had really helped me out the most this fall and winter was uh, these, a progression run where I would run for maybe like 15 miles. And then the last five miles of the run, I would progress down to like a, like a 520 mile and just kind of get that feeling of going fast on legs that have been, been a little more tired. Okay, cool. Well, Zach, it's been great talking with you today. And uh, I thank you so much for being part of the show. Yeah. Well, thank you for, thank you for having me on.